what you might remember is that like Lancelot, you've got this sort of cuckoldry story of Lancelot uh, cucking King Arthur and going off. That's all was added by the French. The English version, like the original version, was about the key figures of it were Rome. It was Ro Arthur versus Rome. Uh, it was about Alter Imperium. We've seen the trivialization of this great hero. It's turned it into a sort of nice guy story, whereas Arthur wasn't really like that. He was an imperfect uh, great hero and a warrior, a warrior king. And it's sacred as well, right? It was a real king to the people of the time. There's a thing called the Nine Great Worthies, where it has Christians, Jews, and pagans, and three of each in terms of all like the greatest, like, greatest people of these, these worthy people. And this was all over Europe. Like They made statues of these Nine Great Worthies, and so the great Christians were Charlemagne, King Arthur, a guy to something, like the first crusader. Pagans were uh, Hector, Alexander the Great, and Julius Caesar. So that's where King Arthur is considered by the people of Europe. Like he's considered as important as Julius Caesar, Alexander the Great, and uh, Hector. It's like, well, Hector's another one that's considered sort of myth, right? But not, that's not what they believe. So that's why this guy's so important as one of the sort of greatest heroes of the English-speaking tradition. So the original meanings have been lost from this stuff. But when this instinct, that the don't tread on me instinct that the Gazden flag re represents, that doesn't come from nowhere. A, a way of talking about that, a way of, uh, it's called a categorical imperative of the instinct that don't tread on me represents, might be, you might say, the Kantian description, understanding that this is just a propositional description, that you don't get the instinct from repeating the proposition, is uh, an American must always fight tyranny, right? That covers the patterns of behavior. If you look at liberty or death, or you might call it freedom or death on, on the Gazan flag or level, if you look, or the, the, the snake flag, the Benjamin Frank, Franklin one, when you look at those, what you see, when you think liberty, you think it's a thing. But what it really is, is the absence of tyranny. That's it. Like it can't be sought for its own sake. Like it doesn't, it's, it's the absence of tyranny. So the instinct that is, this is, uh, that is represented, that the, the proposition I mentioned earlier describes, uh, is the instinct to, it's the immoral impulsion when you see it rising to resist tyranny or to, to fight tyranny. When you see, and a tyranny can be anything, right? It can emerge from the natural environment. It can be the tyranny of nature, the ty especially social tyranny, right? When those things, when that rises up, there is a pattern of behavior, which you can track all the way back to our greatest heroes, which I would say is, uh, it comes from this original author and then goes down the chain, you could say to Robin Hood. But I'll tell you the story, it sums up this whole thing. So Arthur, he's become a kind of emperor of all the princedoms in, Britain, let's say, essentially has united this kingdom. And then the senators turn up from Rome, as of old, asking their tribute. They're saying, we want our taxes, and they're arrogant about it. They demand, they stride in after being away for so long, and a new moral order having formed there. He says to them in response that uh, no tribute will we pay. He, they, he lets them leave, they go back, and he readies for war on the continent unites all the people, goes over to the continent, right? Over to the Imperium, and that's the rule of Rome. He goes around the whole place, essentially waging war against Rome. 
gets to the end, defeats them all. Uh, he's offered the emperorship and he turns it down. He says he doesn't want it. And so after all this time and all this siege, they just, they just go, they leave it. Yeah, you see a sort of parallel with Washington there. He gives them the taxes, gives them the taxes they asked for and says, never, ever, ever, ever come back here again asking for it. I think that the, that's just, it's so priceless. It's, you wanted this, you have it. And they go back to Britain. It kind of represents home rule, right? So we don't do things like they do. We're not creating an empire where we came over here because you turned up uh, and threatened us. And that's not, and I don't mean this in the sense of uh, empire of self-defense. I mean, you directly turned up and threatened us. We went over there only if only to leave. And that's really interesting. This is like a different, different sort of moral order in a different way. When this was written, when Geoffrey of Monmouth wrote this history of the great kings of Britain, they were at a time where they were concerned that there were going to be invasions from outside. So you have this desire to be bound together. It's a poet describing an instinct that's amongst the people. Okay, the people are feeling something. There's a, there's a new sort of value emerging, right? Because values are created by constraints. You have the constraints of a new place. Uh, the ideas amongst the people, and when the ideas rendered, when that sort of desire is rendered, when people can't help but turn towards it when they see it. It's just something they've all felt being in a place, right? They've all felt that we're bound together by this external force over time. And that instinct is new when it happens in Britain. Like Britain is off the edge of the world. Britain is a place that uh, is on the edge of the known maps. Like when you see the maps when there's waters, like here there'd be dragons. It's literally like going off the edge. It takes a whole day to get across the channel, really. If you're on a rowboat, that it, could, it can take 24, if you're swimming, it takes 24 hours to swim over it. You know, it's a long way. People didn't leave. And then you can see it. You can see it with Henry VIII, is that when Rome won't let him remarry someone, this instinct that was rendered by Geoffrey of Monmouth originally, you can see this in him, right? And he was already, he was already called a great uh, Christian by the Roman church. And this is, it was not about debauchery with Henry VIII. The three or two kings in this nine worthies, one of them is Arthur. Do you not think that a king is not worshipping this guy? It's like, what, 300 years later. And he's been considered as the highest valued king. These patterns of behavior that are rendered by Geoffrey of Monmouth, right? And this instinct of don't tread on me is then by uh, Henry VIII shows in his speech from, from Roman church. There's a great line in Tennyson's Idols of the King, which represents what I'm talking about. The king will follow Christ and we the king, in whom high God hath breathed a secret thing. There at the banquet, those great lords from Rome, the slowly fading mistress of the world, strode in and claimed their tribute as of yore. But Arthur spake, Behold, all those have sworn to wage my wars and worship me their king. The old order changeth, yielding place to the new. And we that fought for our fair father Christ, seeing that ye grown too weak and old, to drive the heathen from your Roman wall, no tribute will we pay. So those great lords drew back in wrath, and Arthur strove the Rome, and Arthur and his knighthood for a space, were all at one will, and threw that strength the king, and drew in the petty princedoms under him, fought and in twelve great battles overcame the heathen hordes and made a realm and reigned. And so you can see in that uh, rendering by Tennyson, a great similarity to Don't Tread On Me. This idea of a nation emerging, you have a, 
imperium, right? And I guess you might look at that as the British Empire. And you have these people are on a separate place who have formed their own, their own, they've been basically responsible for their own thing. And someone comes over asking for something or asking tribute, or even if that's the symbol of tribute, uh, you get this instinct, well, this feels like tyranny, right? Because it's, it's a very old value in the English-speaking people. Like the one Benjamin Franklin did, liberty or death, anyway, the concept of that, it's the broken up snake. And that makes a lot of sense in terms of Arthur uniting the realm, is that you, you can't be a snake to the person that tries to grasp you unless you're united. That's that sort of a snake being a dragon, that symbol of the dragon. You can't be a dragon to someone else. You can't be a danger to someone else unless you're dangerous. You have to be dangerous, right? So that flag, that flag that Benjamin Franklin did is quite interesting and in being cut in pieces. Like if this thing's united, then it's a danger. And you can even connect that as well to the right to bear arms, is that if every, every citizen, not just the states together, but going down the chain, if every citizen is a danger, then that snake won't be grasped, will it? Because it will, but I would call it the internalization of the king spirit in every man, the king and every man, right? And the king as the symbol of this spirit. When I mean spirit, I like a pattern of behavior, inspirited with this value, inspirited with a value for this thing, internalized, this pattern of behavior, internalized these values all the way through to America to don't tread on me, the same instinct and the same people who've had the same legends, the same great heroes told them.